Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, and in our podcast, Questions About Heaven, we're continuing on verse by verse in the book of Revelation. Now, as we talked about this, the book of Revelation, the Greek word for the title of this book is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. So it doesn't have to be talking about nuclear devastation or uh, the end of life as we know it. No, that's not what the title means. The title is the unveiling, the revealing, get it? Revelation, revelation. It is talking about the unveiling. Open up the curtain and see the play. Open up the treasure chest to see the treasure. Open up the book and see who Jesus really is. We've seen that description as we've looked in the the wonderful description in Revelation chapter 1. Eyes of flame of fire, meaning he is a judge. Feet of burnished bronze, glowing as if it's still in a furnace. Talking about the trials he's been through, but also the testing and trials of those who are, are they of the faith or not? You know, we've talked about this. The golden sash around his middle, meaning deity, and it is equated with the long robe down to the feet of the high priest. All of those things. And if you'd like to, go back into the study. And by all means, my friends, reread these, reread these, go into this, study all of these wonderful truths about Revelation. And I'll remind you, by no means do I consider myself to be the final authority on these wonderful teachings, wonderful uh, commentators and researchers of the Christian faith all around the world have wonderful things. May this just be a sampling to give you an idea. I just really just give you uh, the scratching the surface of the many depths, and I hope that this will help you. And if you are a pastor or a Bible leader, a teacher of any kind, by all means, and use anything here, you don't have to give me attribution There is no copyright on God's word. Let's go into it and let's talk about this, okay? Whenever I was in high school in Del Mar, Delaware, little town of about 900, we were the smallest public school in the state. I was on the wrestling team and we were mediocre at best. I think one of our best years we had, at those days, we only played uh, 12 different uh, competitions, contests. And uh, in those meets that we would play in, uh, at best, we had six wins, six losses. But we were a scrappy little team, and uh, our coach was always putting us to the test to be ready to take on some of the larger schools from northern Delaware, which is kind of funny. There's only three counties in Delaware. But we took on a team that was known as Smyrna. Smyrna were the big guys. They were the, ta- the, 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 uh, just the, the titans of one of the uh, the division that we played in. And we would go in there and we would get mauled all over the... But every once in a while, we would take them on and then our wrestling team would kind of put them to the test. I don't know in the years that I wrestled in high school that we ever beat them. We would try our best to give them a fight. But I grew to just absolutely despise the name of Smyrna. So you can imagine after my salvation at 17 and I'm studying... The book, and here comes Smyrna. No, not Smyrna, Delaware, or for that matter, Smyrna, Tennessee, and I believe there's a Smyrna, Georgia. These were named after this one particular city in the uh, letter in Revelation among this postal route in uh, the uh, 
many, many messages being given to the churches. We have one called Smyrna. And I grew to love this church, grew to love, understand what they're putting up with and what they're enduring in here. And let's take a look at this because Smyrna here was not the enemy by any means. But I will say this, before we would tackle them as in anything, as I told you before, in wrestling, our coach would sit down and he would learn about the particular opponent that we each individually would take on in our weight class on the other side, tell them their strengths and weaknesses, and that's how we would practice this week. Now, in the same sense, this is what Smyrna is being told, as we had read in the previous uh, talking in the different churches that are coming up in Revelation 2, to be prepared. You are in a battle. Are you ready? Is there something there? So in wrestling, the coach would notice that maybe I was not leading with my foot, or maybe I was uh, imbalanced working to one side or the other. And he would correct it. I'm seeing you're not balanced, Brad, or you're attacking too soon, or you're not attacking enough. And one thing he would constantly get after me is, you're not aggressive enough. So he was giving different points of instruction to say, overall, we have a, a varsity wrestler, but here's what you must work on. Well, with each of these seven churches, we see this instruction and encouragement and uh, maybe uh, there's a discipline there. We go to Smyrna, and we get a very uh, powerful message here of encouragement. Let me explain something. Let's talk about the city itself. Smyrna in, uh, was known as the glory of Asia. It was a rich city. They were a trade city. They were, they were geographically placed in the right way so that the trade markets found them easy easy to uh, do business with. They were not out of the way, and they were known as a commercial giant in those those days. But we also know this, with the opulence and with the great finances came an arrogancy of trying to, you know, figure they could do anything they wanted to. So what happened was their worship really became pocket gods, gods of their convenience, gods they could handle and influence and such. And so you had uh, different gods that they would follow, and they were brought down into convenient uh, different ones. And then they would build themselves up to the, to the Roman gods of, of power, of history, uh, sort of like Aphrodite. Uh, they had a, a, a temple to Zeus, and this was you know, a, a most powerful powerful temple and a a worship there. But what happened was something else came along. About 196 BC, there was a dedication to worshiping the spirit of Rome. And you'd say like like a high school spirit of energy and uh, enthusiasm and yay, ghost. But well, it's kind of that and also an ethereal spirit of Rome. And what they did was they said, you know, the Roman Empire is really almost like a totalitarian state. We're going to worship the idea of Rome. And it actually was. Well, then you will go along and this would build more and more into the deification of the government to the point that the emperor uh, Domitian in about, uh, about A.D. 81 to 96 is when he lived. And what he said was, I don't care about the dead emperor worship. You're going to worship me as I'm alive. This was not optional. This was compulsory. You're going to call him Lord, 
and this is going to show your loyalty to me and to the government. If you don't, you're a traitor, and you'll be considered treasonous, and you will pay it. Now, we do believe this is where John was banished because of preaching the word under Domitian, uh, because of that. And what happened was, when this became compulsory, you were called in before witnesses and in the temple to walk in, and it was a 10-second test of loyalty. You reached over into one brazier, you picked up a pinch of like incense, a bit of incense. You would go over to a flame and then toss that pinch in and then say, Caesar is Lord. You were then given certification that you were a loyal citizen, and then you do whatever you want. You just remember, you want to worship this God or that God, that's okay. But the the God of all would be Caesar. That's what they were doing. Now, the Christians said, well, we're not going to do this. And we understand that Christians were great neighbors. That you, you tend to think that everybody thought they were monsters, but we're not getting that in history. And many people would say to the Christian, listen, don't put your life in jeopardy. You're a wonderful person. Listen, don't, don't do, just go in there and say, you don't, you know, cross your fingers, so to speak. You don't have to believe it. The Christians say, I won't do that. And that's what happened. They went under a great judgment because of that, because their loyalty was only to Yahweh. Through Jesus Christ, they would do this. Only Jesus. And as John 14 says, he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life. And they wouldn't do that. So they suffered because of that. So that's Smyrna. This is where we see persecution going on. So the first thing Jesus does is he's going to talk to them, and he introduces himself in a very, very powerful phrase, not just a word, but a phrase, the first and the last. Now, when we go to Isaiah chapter 41 and 4, we read this, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I am the Lord Yahweh the first and with the last, I am he. So what Jesus is establishing here, so there's no doubt, Jesus is saying, I am God, the first and the last. This term is exclusive only to Jehovah himself. Isaiah 48, 12 says the same thing. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. That's talking about Yahweh. This is talking about Jesus here. And it also says, I was dead, and I came to life. So he said this earlier in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. He has also said, I was dead. And look, I am alive and I'm alive forevermore on this. He is the risen Lord. They saw him. John saw him die on the cross. As we read in the Gospels, he saw him die and he saw the resurrected Christ. He's reminding them, I'm victorious. Death is swallowed up. You're not going to see this. Uh, death winning as well. And I'm reminded of this because of the persecution that are going on. And this makes me think of these passages that are very powerful. And may I encourage you on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're the most miserable people, most to be pitied. But see, we do know Christ to be resurrected. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says this, No matter how bad things get, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And I'm also reminded, you know, no matter how bad things get, with the church of Smyrna or with us here, 2 Corinthians 4.17, this is a light and this is a momentary affliction 
compared to the eternal weight of glory. Right now, we are following the one, the things unseen. This is, uh, we are seeing in an eternal perspective, the things which will be seen in heaven. So the things right now are very minor. And that comes across here, what Jesus is saying. I'm the first and the last, and I was dead. I came to life. So he says this to the church of Smyrna. Please, messenger, deliver this letter as a letter of encouragement. This is one of the letters that is not in condemnation or in stern rebuke. Let's put it that way, stern rebuke. He says, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty. You are suffering. But then we use a parenthetical phrase here, but you are rich, he says. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, listen powerfully, are the synagogue of Satan. Jesus knew that what they're doing, this in Ephesus, uh, they were doing works. He knew that their works were there. And uh, he, st- he lists them. You remember that? What he said, you have tested apostles and you found them to be liars. And so he's also saying the same thing here in Smyrna. You have done this. And it's been a tribulation. And it's even put you into poverty in your service as well. You have experienced uh, just great, great trial here and hardships for what you've been doing for the love of the Lord. This is so funny because Smyrna is known as one of the richest cities in there, and yet it's the first thing that we hear is they are just poor. The the servants of the Lord are poor. And we've seen that. We talk about this, and many people will be very frustrated that I can only do so much for you, Lord. And I'm going to remind you, no matter what you do for the Lord, even Matthew 10, 42, just a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, you will not lose your reward in heaven because our treasures, Matthew chapter 6, are up in heaven. And it even tells us there will be times you'll serve the Lord, Luke 14, 14, that you will not even get recognized on earth and you feel poor. The Lord says, oh, I'm watching and I will reward here as well. They were no doubt facing personal uh, persecution, maybe at work, in their neighborhood from others. Uh, that could be uh, there uh, on that. The, uh, when, when we see this, they would still stand for the Lord And when they did, they would face others who would claim themselves to be spiritual. And and, and the Lord says, look, I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and they're not. So in there, we do understand the Smyrna region had a a strong Jewish uh, population. And in there, they might say, well, I am being religious and you therefore are not in the religion that I have. And they were persecuted because of that, too. What we see in the scripture is no matter what your spiritual standing, however you want to appear religious, what's it going to come down to? It is either you are in Jesus Christ or you are not. No matter what your cathedral or your synagogue or your church or your worship place uh, would be, it is, are you on the side of Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? And that's what's saying this too. And he says this, I know. I think that that's very powerful, just those two words. I know what's going on. It's like I said, in Luke 14, 14, the Lord says, I know you're suffering and nobody seems to care. I know, and I'm going to reward you. I believe it's Hebrews chapter six and verse 10 says, God's not unjust. Don't think he's forgotten. He will reward. Now, Jesus says this, you're rich. 
in my eyes, you're rich. So even though the world would see you as poor, it even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that others will look at you because it seems like you're really not doing that much for the Lord, even among the faithful. And sometimes we just feel like everybody thinks we're poor. And uh, God says, hey, you're rich. You are very, very rich. And this has been true in my family, you know, as we've served the Lord through the years. And there would be times that I would take a job and we were really barely making our bills, paying it. And then sometimes I get so frustrated, Lord, is this what's happening? I have to do, I have to serve in this way that uh, it's, it's so hard for me to get new shoes for my kids that we're driving a car that I actually bought a car one time from a friend for a dollar and it was all falling apart. And we were in Arizona and smoked as I left the church parking lot. I mean, we were poor. And then sometimes it would just strain on you. Lord, are we doing the wrong thing? Should I go into secular work? And so it did strain, but the Lord was very faithful in comforting me. Stay true to the ministry, Brad. And so many of you that I'm talking to right now, you may be in the same way and understand what it's saying here in Smyrna as a good illustration, the Lord says, oh, you're serving me. Oh, you're laying up treasures in heaven. You are rich. Uh, you are doing, you are rich. And it says this, is it material or is it spiritual richness that you're looking for on here too? We do see that we would find out that people will take riches and they'll desire them so much that this will be an obstacle for them to be able to honor the Lord. And that's so sad. Too. Many a good person has either compromised their ministry in the pursuit of riches or just left the ministry altogether to make a salary that would be more than what they would need. And it's just a sad thing here, too, because remember what it said in Mark chapter 10? Jesus says how hard it is to enter in the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the Lord is saying, and they say, well, then who can go? Well, with all things God, with God, all things are possible in that. So we're seeing this, Smyrna is looking in the midst of their poverty to the eternal treasures. And the Lord says, I'm seeing this as well, too. They were rich. We do understand that they were strong. Uh, in Their richness was in their leadership and their doctrine. They were powerful as well. Do not fear. Any of those things which you're about to suffer, the Lord says. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Ten is usually through the scriptures a marked number of a short, explosive uh, time. All right, we'll talk about that. But now be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Do not fear. It literally means stop fearing. Stop being afraid on this. They were starting to have fear going through the congregation. And the Lord says, don't be afraid on that, all right? Don't be afraid. You're going to suffer. Some of you will go into prison, and there will be a short time, but it will end, this time of 10 days uh, in there. Usually when we see this as an explosive time, it's going to be a violent time, but it will end. It's not saying, okay, the calendar, you got nine days to go. But it's telling you, and that will happen with us. We do remember this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, uh, God will make a way of escape. You know, Understand, what you are suffering, no matter what you're suffering, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, or financial, 
the Lord says, there are others through the years that have suffered the same way you have, and he's going to make a way of escape. There will be, and that's the promise here as well. The persecution was from the enemy, the devil, and there is just a set time he can do that. Just like with, with Job, God said, you can do this much and you will not go further than this. And that's what happened. They were thrown into prison. And we're not talking about three meals a day. We're not talking about state-required cleanliness. We're talking about filthy prisons, excrement in the corners, uh, food being thrown to them, things like this. And so in this, they are now outcasts and going into incarceration here as well. The tribulation is going to be 10 days. And uh, there's some question on this, whether it means uh, year, uh, 10 years of persecution. There's some discussion among uh, Christian scholars what specifically this means. I, I tell people really this. This is a set amount of time which will end. It will end. And so I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds about that too. The Sometimes we just see this, and I would follow this. One scholar said that the Greek term 10 days just meant a short period of time. Well, let's just say that. It's limited, and I think we could say that. You're going to be tested, it says. So what's happened? You are going to be under a trial period. And I think about this because First Peter talks about this and says, why do you wonder as if this is some strange thing? You know, what, what you're going to face trials, Christian. And here's what I want you to know. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You rejoice in this. Because now for a short time, if necessary, you're going to suffer grief in various trials. Well, there we go. Verse 6, the 10-day uh, use of term. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to un undergo this, but you'll be delivered by the Lord, and the testing will perfect you. Just like the molten metal goes through the process of purifying, so the slag will be removed. It's the same thing here. And what they're saying is, in here, you will face this. You're going to be, and this is an important word, you're going to be proven. Proven. Through there, God says, this testing time, when you do, you would be tested, and when you are, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Say, he, as he's showing this, when you are be faithful unto death, you're going to receive a crown of life. And this one here, Stephanos is the word. This is, a, this is an earned crown. This is not a diademos, a crown by birthright. This is an earned crown. When the, uh, the laurel wreaths were put on the athletes, that was a Stephanos crown. You are, you've won. You're victorious. You are a winner. I hear. And so we want you to see this. You have endured. You've run patient. The race that was set before you, even with persecution, be faithful in this. A crown of life, that is a powerful thing for us to see. The crown of life. We read of the water of life in Revelation 22.1. We keep seeing this word zoe coming up, and we see eliminated the term death, the zoe here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is for all the churches to understand the example of Smyrna here. We're going to face persecution. Don't leave it to them. All right? And uh, when we see this, Polycarp comes up as a name 
there. Uh, the persecution came upon him, and Polycarp was the leader of this congregation uh, during that. So Polycarp went, and he was uh, sent away. But they say in the, the story that he was when he went away, his congregation said, Polycarp, you need to leave. They're going to kill you. But what, I'm, uh, what I had read about was he was hiding out in some farm in an, in an obscure area, and he was praying, and then he had a vision in his dream uh, during this time of his pillow caught on fire. And he is getting this as a leading from the Lord, and he told those around him, I know what God's telling me. I'm going to burn at the stake. And so what happened is he was found out. He was discovered. Uh, somebody had uh, eventually, I think through torture, somebody had told where Polycarp was. And when they came over there, they were amazed that he gave him no. He was an old man, and he was taken back, uh, a frail old man. And what they were saying was, we were told in the story, they said, Polycarp, listen. Even the, even the secular leaders were saying, listen, you don't have to do this. Just go over there, do the pinch of incense, say Caesar is Lord, get this over with, Polycarp wouldn't do it. He said, no, I can't do this. And what happened was, then when he said no, they were not sympathetic anymore, and they shoved him over, they start pushing him around, and then what they did was, then he was brought to his death during that time in front of an arena he was saying, uh, he was uh, just calling upon the Lord for strength, and they were so impressed by the fact that he was looking at the mob, he waved his hand toward them, and he was told once again, all you have to do is denounce Christ. But I can, if I can remember, I'll paraphrase this. He says, I'm over 80 years old, and I've served Jesus. Why would I change my heart why would I insult Jesus now for this? And so then he is told in front of all of the people, he's, he's named his death sentence. And what happened was he died uh, in that. He stayed faithful all the way. And we'll see Polycarp in heaven one day. We'll get to see Adam and Eve and Rahab, Abraham, Isaac, the, the, the many people of the faith who maybe we have no idea who they are in anonymity they have served. And this will be the same way for you and me. We're going to go to heaven, and the one thing that we are encouraged here in our church today, in our assembly, in our Bible study, in our house, is to be faithful all the way to the end of death, whether it's natural or it's by persecution or anything else, and there will be a crown of life for you. So much more we could say. See, I've run over time on this. Thank you so very much. We're continuing through our teaching on Revelation. We've looked at the church of Smyrna. I hope this can apply to you today. Look at how you can be faithful. Are there things in which you can say, I will show my faithfulness, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Uh, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Giving him glory is a, is a sign of faithfulness. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you
you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.